Objects, a podcast about cultural history, politics, and tat, with me, astrology girl, Dr. Cassidy. And me, Dan Hancocks, journalist, author, and avowed Gemini. <laughs> um, yeah, welcome to Cursed Objects. Uh, if you haven't heard the show before, we take it in turns to bring in an object that has been sort of lurking on the fringes of our subconscious, or possibly on a shelf somewhere, um, that contains the sort of spirit of the world around it, the politics, culture and sort of society. And that's what we mean by cursed. We're, we're generally not talking about magic. Although today, actually, while this is a podcast about sort of material culture, uh, to use its sort of academic terminology, we're, we're kind of heading into the realms of the immaterial today. We're sort of talking more about sort of what you can't see with the naked eye, the uh, spiritual world, the mystical and the unseeable. Is that, is that fair? I think that's absolutely fair, yeah. Um, which is going to make the object that I've brought in sound kind of lame. <laughs> <laughs> but maybe I was just trying to escape the classroom of my 15-year-old self that I was trapped in at the time. Wow. Yeah, the mental know? classroom we're, of your yeah. 15-year-old self. We're getting deep, we're getting deep quite quickly, <laughs> yeah, we We're are. getting deep quite quickly. Um, okay, so this week I've brought in uh, something that I've owned for about around 15 years. And I remember vividly buying it on eBay. I think when eBay was kind of like slightly cooler, you know, kind of cool did, e- did eBay have a sort of cool, like sort of debut album phase where like <laughs> before, it, before it kind of got corporate and sold out? I, didn't, I wasn't aware of that. I don't know. I think, I think in the kind of like early, early 2000s-ish, mm-hmm. it kind of seemed like it had some radical potential. It was still you know? based on GeoCities and sort of had like... <laughs> gifts of like space jam on the website exactly exactly everything was kind of auctionable except for i think this necklace because i've actually found similar on ebay for about 10 Mm pounds now Mm -hmm. uh, which is probably how much i paid for it at the time and it used to be kind of like a staple part of my angsty teenage really wardrobe yeah and it's like a black it's a black cord necklace with like a pendant on it that Mm -hmm. shows the sign of the Capricorn, so it's kind of like a V. The big sheep, is that what you are? Is that the? I think it's like a ram with like a tail. Okay, well was, I'm surprised <laughs> I got it that close to be honest. A ram with a tail. A ram with a tail, <laughs> sure, which okay. I think really captures my spirit and my energy. Yeah. Yeah. When you look at me, I not think... sheep like. No. Not sheep like, but like ram like with ram-like. a tail. Yeah. Ram like with a tail. So just really a, love swimming. A bit, a bit of flair, but also like you do have horns. scaly. Yeah. <laughs> 
Scaly. That is a word that everyone wants to use to describe themselves. But also, yeah, it's got these like little tiny bite marks in it where I've obviously been really bored in oh. class. Oh my God, that's And it's made a... out of pewter. You know, pewter's quite fun to bite. You know, it's kind of... I only know what pewter is from the its association with the word tankard. And I don't think I've ever bit, bitten a pewter tankard. But I, I can totally... Yourself. That's such a vivid image. You like kind of biting on your necklace, bored in class. Like that's yeah. it's a very teenage thing to do, I think. And I think the kind of mass producedness of this necklace but also my kind of teenage investment in my star sign as a kind of sign of my identity sure. alludes to some of the curses that I think we're going to be talking about yeah, yeah. today in this episode. Right so I usually get my star sign advice from Cosmopolitan magazine Sure. and today will be no different. No <laughs> Carry on I'm just I'm totally here for all of this. So Dan when's your birthday? My birthday is the 7th of June. Okay. A birthday I share, and this may be relevant if we're talking about horoscopes, with Prince, R.O.P. and Anna Kornikova. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. A stun- we're we're, we're a kindred spirits array. in every way, the three of us. In fact, <laughs> I often look at you and think Prince. <laughs> and Anna Kornikova. <laughs> look, you know, the three of us talked about sort of starting a band or some sort of side project, but unfortunately just didn't quite happen before Prince you were too. Away. You were too busy with Cursed Objects. Yeah. It was... <laughs> that was, that, that was I had prior commitments, so unfortunately <laughs> just couldn't just couldn't quite commit to that project. So do you know 7th of June, That's that makes me a Gemini. I mean, I think I flagged yeah. that at the top of the show. Yeah, so... I, a Gemini. I don't know a great deal about what that means, I must say. Let, I know, I know let that... me tell you. Okay. So, Geminis uh, are the star sign born between May the 22nd and June the 22nd and belong to the air element of the zodiac, along with Libra and Aquarius. They are super fast, super smart, super adaptable, and super curious people. All of this superness makes them fascinating to be around albeit usually only for short spells, because A, they wear you out. (laughs) They wear you out, And B, get easily distracted elsewhere, and before you know it, they're off. I'm definitely easily distracted, but doesn't that describe most of us? Well, according to <laughs> according to a, a recent, uh, I think, discredited book, all of us, none of us have an attention <laughs> span anymore. We're not. We're not. Right. We're, we're not, not talking, talking about, about that, that author. <laughs> um, it's a fair, it, but yes, he was not the first person to observe that we all have slightly. Um, yeah, we're all a bit distracted. We're all a little bit distracted. <laughs> which actually, you know, and that does speak to sort of one of the most obvious sort of criticisms of horoscope um, horoscopes as a predictive mm. um, kind of tool. Which is that, like, everything is so vague that it's just confirmation bias for people, irrespective of which month they're born in. Mm-hmm. You could all read anyone's horoscope and just be like, oh my god, that's hap- that's so me, and that happened to me today. Like, I'm supposed to be flighty. My partner, who is a sort of moderate believer, I suppose, mm-hmm. in, in the predictive power of horoscopes or the accuracy of horoscopes, would say that is that, that is it absolutely nails me. I don't think, I think there are several things about the, like, typical Gemini that I'm just like... No, I just, I don't recognise that <laughs> at all, sorry. The good and the bad, like. Um, yeah, I'm a Capricorn, and yeah, so we're supposed your... to be incredibly hard-working. Sure, uh, I mean, you can be, right? I mean, I am sometimes am. But that, again, so am according I. Like, to, I <laughs> according to Cosmopolitan, the Earth sign crew are all practical, self-reliant, stoic, mm-hmm. and ambitious. You want them in your corner, but maybe not at a party. I'm great at parties. Yeah, 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 absolutely. <laughs> I'm the light and soul of a party. Yeah. What the what, hell? What's the implication of what you'd be doing at the party to ruin it? I think maybe because, like, Capricorn's... You'd just be working too hard. Yeah. <laughs> you'd just be, like... Just in the corner making an itinerary. <laughs> be like, can everyone shut up? I'm trying to, like, you know, 
transcribe this sort of 18th century text. Um, yeah, that's... I, the, the vagueness is a problem to me. But then I also... I think one of the things that I'm so interested, I find so interesting about horoscopes is to what extent... If you were to draw a massive graph of mm. all the people that check their horoscopes, say, mm. what percentage of them, quote-unquote, believe in their accuracy and their power? To what extent? So, like, are... A third of the people that check their horoscopes on a semi-regular basis pretty much dis like they just it's a bit of fun or they're like it helps me think through my life but I don't believe it's accurate in any sort mm. of meaningful way um and how many you know is it like a third of the people are like oh my god you know tell me moon what to do today so this of. is important because you're asking questions about how people engage mm. with the idea of mm. horoscopes i think often and i kind of don't want to do this in this podcast often whenever people bring up horoscopes people fall into the category of either thinking it's all nonsense right. and deriding it and just taking the of piss yeah, which yeah, we're yeah. going to do a little bit sure. obviously yeah, yeah. or they kind of come across as kind of fully fledged believers I think mm. but it's the way that people engage that and I think kind of anecdotally of course so you know this many of our listeners might not know this but because of the current state of the academic job market I, <laughs> <laughs> which is awful yeah. don't need to spell it yeah. out really yeah. really bad but I work part-time in a coffee shop and in this coffee shop there is this book on astrology and horoscopes mm. and I have in the kind of two and a half years since I've worked there I have seen hundreds of people walk through the door and look and go to that book and all of them are like absolutely like flabbergasted they're like this is me down to a t this mm -hmm. is accurate this is mm -hmm. me everything about this is me i'm gonna look up my loved ones they look up their loved ones they take right. pictures they're like right. can i take pictures of your book i need this book it's crazy like i've seen so many people mm. really really like engage with Across the things... ages and genders and demographics and so on. ages genders and demographics yeah, yeah. yeah which i think is kind of the crazy thing because i do think it's all nonsense but mm. there are clearly a large proportion of people if they read something that is supposed to be about themselves, that mm. kind of is vague or whatever, there is a kind of inclination to believe it. So sure. I kind of want to ask, not just like, you know, why are horoscopes popular, but also, I guess, what's the appeal? Why do people, why are people so keen to believe them? Mm. Yeah, what is the appeal? I mean, it's it's so interesting, isn't it? Because I think, I think I'm right in saying that like, horoscopes have had moments of sort of ebb and flow and sort of, mm. you know, like, periods in which they've been particularly popular but the last what would you say five or ten years of like this particular moment in the early stages of the digital revolution have seen sort of certainly like social media and stuff adapt in such a way that there's just a lot of horoscope content online that seems to be very popular with millennials and stuff particularly and one theory that you'll see knocked about is that when there's sort of a lot to be anxious about in the world at large people will look beyond sort of the material world in front of them mm. for some sort of explanation. And, you know, with looming climate change and political uncertainty and stuff. Decline uh, of organised religion. Yeah, I mean, exactly. That, that's what I was going to say, like the, the sort of we're in a godless universe, we fuck the planet, and millennials in particular growing up in a sort of neoliberal world that offers them no collectivity or security, either like financially or in terms of housing or mm. the future of the planet, indeed. So, of course, people want answers, in the 20th century, you had sort of various networks of solidarity that we developed as kind of society within society and that our parents were able to rely upon. 
And if those have been sort of destroyed or at least weakened by the sort of atomizing effects of late capitalism, that, but also we are in a godless universe mm. and organized religion has, you know, has, has remained sort of something that most people don't participate in in the West, certainly. Then, of course, millennials are going to look for sort of new patterns of meaning. Mm. Like, and if there isn't sort of an ideological pattern of meaning through, say, you know, communism or <laughs> sort of organised yeah. labour and trade unionism, at least, if there isn't a religious sort of scheme for sort of explaining the world, then there is actually solidarity to be found, I think, even in engaging in sort of horoscope stuff because everyone wants to talk about it with yes. you and like so you know, strangers like, even yeah. online being like, oh yeah. my God, I'm a Sagittarius yeah, too. Yeah, oh my God, I'm a Capricorn, so I really like Tauruses. Yeah, exactly. Actually, do you know what? It's really it's interesting. It's a bonding thing. Yeah, there is such a bonding thing. Do you know, I was talking to uh, a friend, shout out Nick Bano, the idea of whether or not horoscopes are homophobic because oh, wow. you actually also, so there are these like kind of bonded solidarities. I know, I know you yeah, didn't so think we were going to go there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Cancelled for homophobia. But there are like quite on quite a lot of dating apps. There are mm. kind of things that are like, basically, that mm -hmm. are quite exclusionary. So so there are, uh, on your like dating profile, you know, might put, like, I'm a Capricorn, so I don't want any Aries because they are like chaotic signs or whatever. That is nuts, obviously. Yeah, yeah, yeah obviously. <laughs> but it's, so I think there is this kind of idea that these solidarities and these communities have emerged, which is kind of really interesting, mm. an interesting development, as you point out. But also there is the kind of flip side, or maybe this is just a moral panic around it, I don't know. But, you know, the idea that those communities can actually also create exclusivity so the idea of like excluding mm -hmm. others and I think uh when I was a bit of a stretch to say that makes them homophobic isn't it like I don't <laughs> quite I, see I just, how I think I think the idea is that the LGBT community is supposed mm. to be inclusive and open and welcoming irrespective and, whether you're an Aries or not yeah exactly right? exactly <laughs> yeah, so yeah. to add um kind of internal I division see. and conflict okay. actually is like is is prejudice has anyone ever told you that they're not going to date you or will date you because you're a Capricorn no everyone wants to date me <laughs> <laughs> that was quick as a flash yeah can't argue with that fair enough that's um, a very Capricorn trait to be that quick. <laughs> is it really <laughs> But do you know, I'm re I was also really, I was really in interested in the idea that you were just talking about there about in times of uncertainty, mm. people might look to horoscopes, but I kind of want to take that back. So I don't think it's necessarily, I want to kind of historicize that because mm. I don't think that's necessarily uh, exclusively like a modern trend, although okay. it kind of the way it appears is the way that we see it kind of today is, in, is you know, based on our life, right? Our life yeah. experiences now. But actually, I want to ask you, when do you think the first horoscope appeared in a newspaper? Wow, good question. Um, I'm not going to ruin it and be like, 1420? Um, so let, let's say, <laughs> you know when you like people ask you to guess something and it's going to be longer ago than you? Yeah. I think it was before so you, the printing press Yeah, exactly, invented. yeah, before newspapers were invented. Um, I'm going to, yeah, it was actually just a free sheet that like chap men carried around medieval England. <laughs> Um, I was about to go on a massive detour there and explain what the history of the word Chapman is. Look it up on Wikipedia, it's good fun. Um, focus on the, focusing on the job in hand. I am being flighty, I'm actually being a Gemini now, I've realised. This is, this is infuriating. Yeah, you're going, your partner is right. Your yeah, yeah, is right. I, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, I'm going to go with 1920. Because I feel like it's, it seems like a 20th century phenomenon. So you're not far off. Okay. It was in the August of 1930... And uh -huh. it was in the aftermath of the stock market crash. What? Yeah, and it was in the British tabloid, uh, The Sunday Express. And the occasion was Princess Margaret's birth. 
and it was entitled <laughs> What the Stars Foretell for the New Princess. And it was wow. so popular that it became a regular feature of the newspaper. Huh. So again, you know, even when we're kind of looking historically, we can maybe see this link between horoscopes and, I don't know, like contemporary events, historical mm. events that might appear challenging. I kind of also want to stress that maybe they're a bit of a reach. I don't know, it's a bit of a reach to say that yeah. because because horoscopes, sorry, like the emergence of horoscopes directly relates to kind of like, I don't know, world tragedies or like global I read, events. I read something on exactly that subject about, so like thinking about whether there's more reliance or interest, reliance on or interest in horoscopes during the pandemic, I would think that would make like a lot of sense that would be entirely mm. understandable i could see it offering solace and comfort um in a period where like time some very strange things have happened to our experience of time during the mm. pandemic and that is i'm sure a conversation for another episode which we should talk about because it's it's you know we're very interested in time like look at our logo for this podcast <laughs> it's a be- the beans clock you know we're interested in how like you know notions of historical time are corrupted and disrupted by beans and <laughs> by other things too. And by pandemic. And by pandemic. <laughs> so like I understand like a relationship a relationship there between like take up increased take up in horoscopes and the anxiety and uncertainty caused by the pandemic. But I also read something when we were preparing for this episode, which uh, reads as follows. When there's a lot of anxiety surrounding big events, like the 2020 presidential election, it can feel helpful for people to look to the planetary cycle for answers. That upsets me, you know, by contrast. (laughs) Unlike the sort of pandemic link, the idea that people might look at, you know, Donald Trump coming incredibly, like, much closer than anticipated to being Mm -hmm. Joe Biden, and when yeah, I'm going to look at the planetary cycle for answers. No, maybe look at, like, how sort of uh, gerrymandering and sort mm. of um, uh, voter suppression mm. and the re- and the reasons that people wanted to vote for Donald Trump. Maybe look at the concrete stuff, you know, mm. that is taking place on Earth. Don't ignore that because it's quite important. Yeah. I'm not sure that, you know, the whether, like, Saturn is rising in Uranus. <laughs> is, Saturn's uh, is, got so much to say about Donald Trump. No. <laughs> Um, uh, but you know, and it, I'm sure what Saturn has to say about Donald Trump is probably more reasoned and thoughtful than what a lot of, a lot of commentators have done. But nonetheless, <laughs> let's keep things gra- like I just I, that that upsets me because it sort of is detached. It's just like a, a conscious, maybe it's unconscious, but it's a detachment anyway. Is what I was going to say mm. from real unfolding tasks of like the political world that we live in that yeah. are important. And I don't think that's acceptable, really. I think that's I think that's like a an abdication of your duty as a citizen, basically, yeah. to like engage in on at least on some level. I'm not saying you have to be reading Twitter twenty four hours a day. It's probably better if you don't. But to engage with the real world on its own terms. And a kind of distancing, right? Mm. Distancing from like the real causes that are endemic in society. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Dan, as a kind of slight novice, I want to, is that fair to say? Slight novice to the field of horoscopes. Yeah, yeah, no, very much a novice. You might not have heard about the app CoStar Astrology, but it is incredibly important in the the telling of this story. CoStar, like you're co-starring in a... Like me and you, right? We're the coast. (laughs) (laughs) We're the co-stars. I thought we're both stars, but sure, okay, yeah, yeah. (laughs) 
You're my co-host, you're my co-star. That's uh, how I see the world, just sure. in a, as a series of co's. That's a very Capricorn trait. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so the CoStar Astrology app. Since its launch in 2017, it's been downloaded 6 million times, right? 80% of its users are female and their average age is 24. Wow. Um, but more recently, these figures have been like kind of redrawn. Mm. And as of April 2021, CoStar has more than 20 million downloads and has been downloaded by a quarter of all young women aged between 18 and 25 in the US. So what a you're, quarter. So what you're saying is, I mean, those are extraordinary figures. It was very popular. Yeah. And then the pandemic happened. Yeah. And now it's incredibly, like, it's, it's yeah. shot up, like, in usage. Which, yeah. Like, so that, that sort of correlation between an upsurge in interest... I mean, I don't know whether it's from, only because of the pandemic, sure. but I think that, you know, those Maybe figures... Maybe it was growing that, a yeah, lot already. But it was kind of on, it was on the up. And then, I mean, now the figures, you know, a quarter of young women <laughs> aged 18 to 25, I don't know how they get those figures, sure. but that is, it's huge. It's, I mean, an entire, it's, it's an entire, you know. I mean, it's good. It's a good, you know, nub of evidence for that sort of general sense, I think we all have of like... Yeah, younger millennials and Gen Z women particularly mm. are, you know, sort of launching themselves into this. And, it, you know, I wonder if it sort of also corresponds with the, some of the other, like, upticks in sort of interest in uh, witchery, Wiccan stuff. I wouldn't say, I don't know about new age stuff generally. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. Do you know anyone who's into like crystal skulls and sort of, I mean, tie dye is certainly back. I'm not sure there's a definite, <laughs> I'm not sure there's a direct causal relationship to like, if you're wearing tie dye, you're more likely to download a, but a horoscope app. But ironically, were... Camden Market is gone, which is where everyone used to buy all their tie dye, right? Is it really? Well, like there's still the stables, but like the oh. main kind of market stuff, oh. yes, it's all gone. I used to buy like, bootleg tapes of like my I just cycled past Kentish Town Forum or the O2 Forum mm. I'm going to sound really old now but like that's where I saw my first ever gig which was Radiohead touring the Benz when <laughs> I was 13 and uh, I bought a cassette an illegal like bootleg tape of it from a stall in Camden Market yeah which what an amazing record of mm. I mean it sounds appalling like because it's just like someone in the audience like taping it <laughs> you know I feel like we've maybe got off on a bit of a digression there um, Camden Market is the spiritual home of the new age or rather yeah. it used to be it kind of doesn't really anymore is that it's where just... you got your Capricorn your cursed object for the no day? I, I got mine on eBay I got oh, it on sorry, eBay yeah but I have but you would have you would have found similar in yeah, Camden yeah, Market yeah. 100% um, I mean this is you know this is the age of TikTok witches mm. that we're living in. Yeah. Um, I don't know if... Are you familiar with TikTok witches as a, as a um, trend? I, I mean... Not personally, I don't really watch TikTok witches, um, no, I mean, and they haven't. I. They haven't even. They but haven't they... even encroached into my algorithms just yet. But maybe now, <laughs> now you've said TikTok witches, I mean, I, they'll I cast a spell on me. And I don't have appearing. TikTok because uh, my brain is broken enough already <laughs> in terms of attention span, um, and that's not because I'm a Gemini. Uh, but uh, but like I'm a, a familiar. There was some stories last year. I think it was about kind of uh, Gen Z zeal for casting spells and other sort of like Wiccan and occultish sort of fun. In fact, I was, I think in the 2020, in the first year of the pandemic, I was hanging out with some friends outside by the embankment and there were five or six youngish women, I would say maybe not quite teenagers, but like 
maybe student age with like flaming torches and like they were basically performing <laughs> like a Wiccan ritual oh, wow. on the Thames foreshore on, wow. on the embankment on the southern embankment of the Thames. Um, were there any warlocks? I think there might have been a warlock. Well, there was a bloke anyway. Let's <laughs> assume he was a warlock. But, um, you know, I think I'm sort of broadly into a bit of enchantment. I think, we, you know, it's it, it can have radical mm. sort of possibilities to mm. it. Um, and then it's not necessarily sort of a reactionary sort of, you know, departure. Donald Trump's been elected, let's do a ceremony kind sure. of vibe. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think I think there's some some interesting potential there and some overlaps between kind of radical politics and the occult uh, as much as, you know, the occult per se is something you can attach to a, a variety of different political mm. traditions, including mm. some much less savoury ones. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I think some of, certainly speaking for myself, like I grew up, and maybe this is an interesting or maybe this is an important point about sort of the gendering of kind of a relationship with horoscopes and star signs mm. and, and, and sort of new age culture generally is that like I definitely grew up, as I think a lot of guys did, with a sort of R Richard Dawkins ish kind of new atheist tendency i think a lot of people have this moment whether they've grown up like in a religion when they've been, whether they've gone to a religious school been sent to church or not mm. and i wasn't on either account you sort of when your politics are emerging at like 14 15 mm. i think it's quite common for people of my sort of broad like middle class leftish background to reject anything that sort of seems sort of irrational yeah and like that it's like a a sort of I think teenagers can be sort of terrible stands for the Enlightenment. In oh a, my God, yes. <laughs> like yeah, in, yeah, yeah. In a really Incredibly sort of, cynical, yeah. that kind of emerging cynicism kind yeah. of way. Where you're yeah. like, God, only idiots would believe in a, a sort of a creator yeah. uh, in the Bible story. In, um, you know, like, and I know, and actually my partner went to a Catholic school and was confirmed and so on, definitely had this moment. It's sort of part mm. of a transition and a rejection mm. of some of the stuff that has been around you, I suppose, and a, a sense of, like, your own emerging independence. Mm. And, like, it makes sense to me that, like, as you're developing your own sense of identity, as you were saying mm. at the beginning, like, that you would actually want to reject a lot of this stuff and say, I'm in control of my destiny. Yeah. Um, and I, I'm in control of sort of you know, my moods and my thoughts and feelings, not the movement of the planets. Mm. But then I can also see why, like, yeah. as a badge of identity, you'd also be like, yeah, I'm a fucking Capricorn, man, deal with it. <laughs> so I kind of, in, in light of that, um, in light of the idea that, like, you know, teenagers are kind of like, they go through a kind of cynical cynicism mm. of, like, organised religion phase, you know. Mm. I wonder why it is so popular with kind of millennials with like young millennials mm. I guess or like sorry young Gen Zers and the app the CoStar Astrology app I went on some reviews today and one of them by Vicky 66666 recurring um <laughs> wait so she's clearly into some occult stuff some kind Based of mild, mild satanic appreciation. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, just to yeah, read, yeah, yeah. read not very far into her username. Yeah. And her review read, this is, the title is, This App Knows Me Too Well. <gasps> yeah. Here we go. I can't really even put into words how revolutionary this app is. 
To put simply, sometimes I avoid checking its insights to let the day play out as it wants to without me having any expectations. And it somehow always summarizes my day and feelings down to the reasons why I'm having them perfectly. <laughs> so it kind of suggests that this app has a kind of clairvoyance to right. it. Interesting. I don't know. And you know, I have also experienced this. So I Well it's eerie when it's like I have looked at my star sign in the past. Yeah. And it is eerie when it when I mean, it, it corresponds. I, I and think then, it is and, coincidence, but sure. it is eerie. I mean, how often do you check, actually? We haven't covered this. Okay, so this is the kind of unique selling point of the CoStar app, which Mm. I think is really, really important because it's part of its entire business model. It sends you these kind of daily notifications. And in a kind of break from what you might traditionally associate with horoscopes, it's not like, you know, it's not really that obscure. Often they're quite practical, quite funny, quite rude, sometimes Mm -hmm. blunt. Mm. So, you know, it's not like oh, today, like, you'll be feeling all of these things. It's just like, today, go and take a shower. Or like, today, don't even try to make yourself understood. It's just not worth it. So, you know, wow. it's like... It's quite So it's giving you orders, actually, rather than like of, a framework for understanding. Yeah, it kind it's, of does. But it's like, I, I don't... I also don't really know... I mean, they are kind of orders. When you say it like that, they are so much more cynical. <laughs> but like, it's really weird. Because like, you know, on a Monday, if it's a Monday... I think sometimes practical advice on a Monday when you're feeling shit is go and take a shower, (laughs) you know, or like maybe just give up and just go and lie down. And they're not like always accurate. But like, so for example, when I was at a conference, um, I was at this conference and one of my notifications was, do you experience criticism as a direct attack on your being? And I was like, this is the perfect place for me to get this. And then the next day it said, listen to people that you consider your subordinates, which has strong fascist energy, but also (laughs) at a conference when there's like so many like, oh, this is more of a comment than a question kind of guys. You know, I was like, it kind of flips the, it kind of flipped the power dynamic in a way that I kind of thought was quite jokes. Yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, so do you feel like you appreciate some of these little tips, even if they're not, they don't seem like they're explained in a particularly new agey, way like they're not saying like today's the day to sort of take control of you know your work life Mm. because saturn is rising in neptune yeah they're just just like hey do this thing in which case it is sort of like a self-help app in a way and that's not said with any judgment even though you know self-help is a world that encompasses multitudes including a million hucksters Mm. and people who are full of shit and just on the make but are not not down on people looking Mm. to improve Mm. themselves and um, to improve their happiness particularly and I almost wonder if it's a bit like there's a great critique of like Jordan Peterson's 12 rules for life mm. um, on the Chapo Trap House like podcast a few years ago but it's genuinely really worth looking up because they go into it in a lot of detail but also trying on what his appeal is yeah and the first rule of the 12 rules for life is like tidy your room and <laughs> the critique they give is like well that's fair. That will make you feel better. Yeah. What's bad about Jordan Peterson is that he's nuts and has attached like this utterly bullshit sort of, you know, patriarchal, patriarchal, pseudo like scientific Mm. nonsense to what is actually just quite decent, you know, queer eye for the straight guy type uh, advice. Like, Hey man, take care of yourself. Mm. Stand up. Like one of the, another of the rules is like, stand up straight. Like, you know, get a haircut, like, mm. you know, make yourself feel better about yourself and your life will feel better, which 
If so, horoscopes are doing a similar thing for women, certainly a lot less pernicious than Jordan Peterson. Like, so actually, I've been thinking about this, and no, I don't think mm. I, do, I don't think when the CoStar Astrology app mm. notifies me and it says take a shower today, which it does very rarely because it knows I shower frequently. It knows I bathe of an evening, so <laughs> right, I mean right. it kind of doesn't really work, but. No, what? Seems like it knows too much about you. <laughs> well, this thing, I don't actually think it really knows anything. It's just a right. random chance, right? <laughs> yeah, but actually, you don't me. I was thinking about it today quite a lot because I don't think that what these things are doing, I don't actually think they're self help. I don't mm, think okay. that, that they're self help at all. Uh, I think that what these notifications are, and I think the appeal of them is that I kind of think they're poetry. I kind of ooh. think that they are like, mm-hmm. they add a kind of depth and a texture to our lives that often we deny ourselves. And I often think that the way that these messages come across, um, so something to something to unpack here as well is that mm. this, this app often kind of says fairly explicitly left-wing, it has expe- explicitly left-wing messages. So when my, when my, when I open my phone or I get notified on a random Tuesday and it mm. says, today's a great day to abolish the carceral system, I'm sorry, but I think that's poetry. <laughs> and I think that that kind of changes how we think about horoscopes. I don't think that this app's trying to self-help me mm. because it couldn't, right? I don't know. I don't know how that would really work in practice, mm-hmm. personally. But I think what it does do is it provides kind of like additional, um, I don't know, like it's just a bit of fun, it's a bit of nonsense, but really it provides kind of like an additional language that kind of punctuates your day that isn't explicitly framed as poetry, but is a way of opening conversation, I guess, or like thinking about the world or looking at the world. Mm-hmm. And I think that like, you know, I personally hate poetry. I'm so, I'm just not into it. But like... I think sometimes the way that these messages are crafted mm. are actually quite poetic. Yeah, I love the idea of like adding depth and texture. So that like, and, 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 you know, I think that's what poetry does for people who enjoy it anyway. <laughs> is, is to, <laughs> so maybe it's for is people to, like me that don't really like you don't poetry. Like actual poetry. <laughs> and so a message from, a, from an, a horoscopes app telling you to overthrow the carceral system is your version of, I mean, that's, yeah, that's, I'm not sure if that particular notification is depth and texture or just is just quite a mixture of like politics and humour that sort of quite... Because, I mean, are there other messages like that? Is it like, hey, Sagittarius, it's a great, you know, hope you're having a good Tuesday. Have you thought about, you know, disestablishing the Church of England or something <laughs> like that? You know, is it like, what you know, today, this week could be a good week to start looking into House of Lords reform. Like. So I, I think that I think a lot of people freak out by the idea that like these are like commands and that people will follow these commands blindly. You know, mm, like there's okay. like a lot of moral panics about CoStar because mm. so many people have downloaded it. There's kind of like, what is this app that's infecting our children's well, I bet minds? They're, if they're you saying know? things about the carceral system, yeah. I'm, sure, I'm sure there is some concern in America. Yeah, but also I think that like yeah, I think it's an additional and like an unexpected bit of nonsense that like helps you sort of helps you read the world. Almost. Well, it's like read or read your day yeah, or in maybe, a different way. Maybe helps is, is kind of wrong. I think it's I think it just is like a kind of reminder that words and ideas exist beyond the fact that like you're going to work and it's shit and you're late for work and you haven't had breakfast and you're going to go to prep because it's the only thing that you can get and then you get to prep and then it's shit. And, do you know what I mean? Like so it kind of takes of... you beyond that to kind of think about the stuff that exists. Sure. So yeah, it's. I mean, in that sense, it's. You know, you could make a. a, And you are making like a valiant defense of it as a sort of 
form of not escapism act, as such, but a way of sort of looking at the world around you and your everyday, particularly when that is a depressing one and Pratt haven't got the right sandwiches in, that, <laughs> that you're then like able to see beyond that immediate sort of, you know, disappointment or malaise. Like, well, like is it, I okay, mean, so see, we I have feel this like... thing that like capitalism reduces us to like organisms that work, right? Yeah. So in a way, what this does occasionally, it adds texture, and also the idea that like, okay, when it says something like, don't even try to make yourself understood today, it's not worth it. You know, in a way, I think I kind of read that as like, yeah, okay, could that be a kind of self-helpy like whatever? Yeah, but I also see it as a slight rejection of the way that capitalism sometimes makes us feel that we need to be productive, especially if you're self-employed, you know, all the time. You need to be doing, sure. you need to be working. And especially I think the idea that, yeah, we we, we need to be working towards a goal. I think it, sometimes it's yeah. okay to accept that so we're is not. It, so, okay, here's, here's a question building on that, which mm. is like, you know, is there an inherent, an intrinsic or inherent revolutionary potential to horoscopes or are they like value neutral in the sense that what you're talking about, like capitalist work culture and how it grinds us all down, makes us all very sad. It is like a horoscope, depending on how it's written, mm. surely could respond to that by saying, like, take yourself out of this moment. Remember, there are impor more important things. You know, don't forget to say hello to a tree and, you know, text your loved ones. Or it could say, just work harder. Like, yeah. you could have... You, and I'm, is it not the case that, like, some of the, some horoscopes, I'm sure, are driving in that lane of, like, particularly, like, Instagram self-help culture... or not self-help culture, but, like, um, what's sometimes referred to as magical voluntarism, mm. I think, was Mark Fisher's phrase. Uh, one of my fave sort of expressions for sort of how we're all told to like constantly be like whipping ourselves to work harder to grind harder get on your hustle get on your grind and that I feel like that could definitely overlap with with sort of the current iteration of like horoscope mania yeah I completely agree I think it's like it's explicitly about like how those how those horoscopes are written mm -hmm. and like yeah just as it can take a kind of bleak and authoritarian fascistic <laughs> line yeah. it can take a kind of I don't know. I don't. I don't think inherently. So actually, well, I think. I think you make an interesting case that it could be inherently, like liberatory, if it is taking you away from the like material and quotidian and depressing aspects of your day to day life under capitalism, mm. and saying and reminding you that there is more mm. <laughs> than mm. there is more than those those things that you are fixated on hour to hour. You know, got to get to work, got to catch the bus, got to, you know, got to email the boss, got to, you know. So when I was like looking up stuff around co-stars, someone tweeted saying, Comrade co-star said, fuck the neoliberal noise, love to see it, after their daily notification that said, individuality is also a fetish. <laughs> so I just kind of think, like, you know, I get it. Like, I get that, like, I guess... This issue is like really complex and what I kind of didn't want to do on this podcast is just to go down that route of like mm. all horoscopes are nonsense, they're all bullshit and they're all neoliberal, like whatever. There are some obvious things to be careful and wary of, especially mm. with an app like this. Mm. Like, you know, if an app has been downloaded that many times, it's, you know, clearly funded by venture capitalists. It's, right. you know, even if the people behind it, even if like... Send out some lolzy woke messages. Yeah, like is it is it left wing as aesthetic? Probably. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. but also does that really matter? I don't know. Like 
I guess what I'm trying to get at here is there have been like, there's been a lot of like news articles on the fact that, uh, for example, mystical services mm. in the uh, US is worth 2.2 billion. You know, mm. this is an industry that capitalists wants to want to get into. Mm. And, you know, they want to they want to also buy into lefty aesthetics if like it means people sure. will download the app. Because, Gen Z, because they're like, oh, Gen Z like a bit of yeah. that, don't they? And also the thing is these daily notifications, that is the entire advertising model of CoStar. It doesn't need to advertise its app because all it does is it like sends you quirky messages and then people post that to their, to their social media so more people get the app, you know? Like it doesn't need to spend any money on I mean, advertising. I see what you mean. Presumably they do advertise as well though, right? I mean, yeah. But, but do you think it's, it's become I mean, it's, such a it's, sort of juggernaut now? Yeah, it's exponential <laughs> growth. Like quite a few yeah. people like that I that I love and respect on Twitter <laughs> also post up their co-star. They post their like like notifications because mm. it's like a bit of funny nonsense, right? Sure. But I guess like there is here, and I think this is something that's really important. There is a inherent relationship between horoscopes, capitalism, and I guess now more recently neoliberalism that I think we can unpick and mm. actually someone has already kind of done a bit of that work for us so who's that Kasha? <laughs> so it would just not be a left-wing podcast unless we discussed a little bit of theodora Adorno, right i knew i knew it was coming but i was still delighted <laughs> mike drop with the theodora Adorno. all we have to say is theodora Adorno, and then we can just end the podcast now like you know it's the end of the show so for anyone that doesn't know, Adorno was a key thinker in what was known as the Frankfurt School, which was a kind of institute in Germany, and it was set up in the interwar period, and it was dissatisfied with both capitalism and Leninist Marxism, and kind of is fairly closely associated with the development of critical theory as a kind of uh, scholarly endeavour. Yeah, cultural Marxism began there. No, <laughs> I probably, should, I probably shouldn't have said that, should I? <laughs> Cultural Marxism is not a thing, but it's sometimes... And also just, it's racist. And also it's like, yeah, basically like a code for sort of fascist worldview now. But it, it is sometimes attributed yes, to the, to the to Frankfurt, Frankfurt School. So people in the Frankfurt School kind of saw their native Germany descend into authoritarianism and dictatorship during the 1930s. So many were kind of, many of them were interested in critiquing kind of the idea of mass culture and like the masses. It's like, how did this happen, basically? They were all so scarred by this descent into authoritarianism, especially considering like, you know, Germany's like 1920s Weimar kind of like mm. vibe was like very, I guess, kind of open, I guess. It was kind of... Cabaret. Cabaret. <laughs> Sorry. You just read just my mind. Clear, I've, done, I've done a history degree and I can, I can, if need be, speak to the Weimar Republic in a bit more detail. But basically cabaret is what you need to know as you know a, as a summary of the atmosphere of the zeitgeist of the time. But you know, they're really interesting. What was the structure of feeling? Cabaret. Cabaret. We <laughs> yeah, can just yeah, end yeah. it there. Cabaret. Yeah. Um, but, you know, they're really interested in how, uh, and kind of critically thought about political extremism and how, like, bureaucracy particularly leads to either political extremism on the one hand or kind of apathy on the other hand. You know, why didn't people stop dictatorship? Why didn't they stop fascism? But also, mm. why were so many people willing to engage with fascism? And um, he kind of had quite a lot to say. So during the Second World War, he escaped Germany to Chicago. I'm fairly sure he went to... No, sorry, he went to California. Should, I should know that. Via the UK, I think. Oh, yeah, via the UK. And he ended up in California. I mean, if that's wrong, cut it. But, you know. I think it is via <laughs> the UK. It, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, I want to quickly shout out that a lot of kind of my thoughts on this have been guided by the article Space Jew or Walter Benjamin Among the Stars, written in 2019. 
2016 by Benjamin Alders Vorgraft in the LA Review of Books. And I know that you've read it as well. It's a great piece. Yeah, I love it's, it. it's one of my favourite things it that I've ever read. connects the Frankfurt School to... Because, you know, you've done a great intro and I'm sure our listeners are now like, okay, Kasha, I get what the Frankfurt School is and what Theodore Adorno was doing. What's this got to do with horoscopes? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Benjamin Alders Vorgraft really, and um, like he really links these two things in a way that I had never thought about conceptually before. I mean, I wouldn't, I'm not an expert in the Frankfurt School, but I have read a bit. Um, I would recommend actually, as, a, as an aside, uh, a really great introduction uh, that came out on Verso called Grand Hotel Abyss, which is not like a Wes Anderson film. It sounds like <laughs> but it is a really Grand Budapest Hotel Abyss. <laughs> yeah, Grand Budapest Hotel Abyss. That's right. Maybe that should be the name of this episode. Um, but it's a re- it's a really useful introduction to the lives and works of, of the Frankfurt School. And uh, yeah, it didn't horoscopes didn't come up. So tell. <laughs> I was delighted to to discover there was a connection. So when Adorno escaped Germany and he went to California, he spent a lot of time kind of like reading local newspapers and he kind of began to see horoscopes as one of the, I guess, worst examples of, I guess, capitalist culture. Mm-hmm. And he, there are a few kind of notable entries that he found that he, he kind of saw how horoscopes were kind of geared up to capitalism, but more so to kind of bureaucracy, I guess. So, for example, on the 11th of November, Libra, your own AM fretfulness and lack of vision alone makes the morning unsatisfactory. So, you know, it's kind of geared up to that idea that like productivity mm. is uh, is kind of what, what will give this Libra more uh, guidance in their life. Yeah. The 9th of January for cancer. It's your day to have fun. So contact very active associates. <laughs> <laughs> Take them to amusement places and discuss practical goals in these surroundings <laughs> For excellent results. Oh my god, that's I mean it's my idea of a good time. (laughs) I just really want to go to local amusements and discuss my goals. Yeah, discuss practical tasks um on the top of the Big Dipper. Perhaps, you know. I don't know why I just sort of thought theme parks were like specifically where this horoscope wants me to have a meeting for some reason. Yeah, or exactly on the on the beachfront in sort of uh while while playing air hockey, perhaps <laughs> with my with my some close business associates. Yeah, and finally, the twenty seventh of February, Virgo. Don't be too disturbed by news or commotions around you. Confine your efforts to the worthwhile activities in connection with your home or place of business. Keep calm, relaxed, and ready co- to cooperate with all people. <laughs> uh, okay, yeah, it's you very know- individualizing again as well. Yeah. Isn't it? It's atomizing in exactly exactly the opposite way to that sort of um co-star astrology notification you read out about individualism being a fetish you Mm. know like and that's that's a really good example of how horoscopes can be a tool for sort of like you know interiorizing and sort of atomizing an individual away from their society but you will notice as well exactly but you will notice with the co-star astrology kind of like little notification yeah it's short and you know you can't expect everything but it doesn't really offer any sound advice on how to do that collectivity (laughs) (laughs) it's just like oh being being an individual is a fetish full stop and then you're like oh okay so yeah (laughs) where do i go with that yeah it's not it's not I don't think that is giving the kind of uh, political texture or theoretical texture mm. to sort of help challenge the things that it's purporting. I mean, it just sounds quite glib, basically, mm. doesn't it, when, when you put it like that. There was a great line in the LARB, um, LA Review of Books uh, piece that you're, you're referring to, um, which kind of 
summarised Adorno's critique as, as follows, quote, Astrology for Adorno was not a system of meaning, but rather a watery and dilute form of self-help literature, an extra set of rules to comfort people already living under the heavy blankets of unfreedom that bureaucracy lays over us. Astrology was false consciousness. And that's like a quite a neat summation, I think, of, of yeah, where that, where that, of a critique that sort of I think most of us would probably understand. So like you think you're doing something, yeah. you think you have some control, but actually yeah. you have nothing and you're yeah. not doing anything about changing changing the world around because you. Because the bureaucracy has the control. <laughs> like, yeah. And, you yeah. know, yeah. and by focusing on, you know, well, having business meetings in Thorpe Park for some reason, like you're, you're mm. not, you're not focusing on how you might tackle the, the things that are restricting your freedom ultimately, mm. which are material and exist in the real world. I kind of, you know, and I and I get that as a critique. I think that it stands to reason that capitalist forms of production or like things that are that rely heavily on capital, so like newspapers, you know, they're all mm. kind of part of that system of production. Yeah. I completely understand why they might also reflect the society that they are within because they're created by people who are part of that society. Yeah, so they and, will also reflect capitalist principles, right? And they're also owned by by, exactly. by by millionaires with you know billionaires in some cases with very specific right wing agendas is the other, the other exactly thing. exactly and I kind of you know I think that is true accurate I think it's mm. a useful valid and very very astute critique of horoscopes yeah but is I there a buck coming yeah there is I feel like I, I feel like I want to push back on it a bit but you go yeah. first so I don't know in this in this article Benjamin Alders Vorgraft brings in the kind of ideas of Walter Benjamin, mm-hmm. which I know that both you and I are really heavily into. Yeah, I was, was going to deploy a bit of, of, yeah. of Wally as well. <laughs> but you go first. And shout out to my friend Gaddy Coates that actually sent this to me years and years ago. But I don't know, like his description of Benjamin in this article, if you're interested in the work of Walter Benjamin, please read this article. They are just phenomenal so for example he says about benjamin benjamin was himself famously dissolute usually out of work a bad husband a bad father a bad friend always in debt he never seems to have been quite up to the challenge of adult life oh like, so brutal <laughs> so brutal but it's so accurate i think so so basically he needs a horoscope or because <laughs> well, that's because that's sort of what he's getting out there right is that you know as an example of somebody living a successful life mm. you know um Walter Benjamin was a sort of close correspondent and sort of intellectual frenemy, I want to say, mm. of Adorno's. Mm. So they, they were neither completely on the same track nor nor always opposed either. So for me, like, one of the ways that, like, Benjamin's approach to uh, his work kind of rejects that Adorno critique is that... Like, Benjamin was very interested in the idea of constellations, which I think is a lovely little... Um, perhaps coincidence in terms of like we're talking about astrology for Benjamin constellations were sort of a metaphor in the way that he approached sort of thought and I think for him it's a sort of a kind of a constellation as I understand it for Benjamin is a kind of it's an explosion of like linear finite scientific thinking mm. and homogenous time and a way of attaching different fragments of ideas and knowledge which overlap but don't give you a direct single explanation of history and the point is sort of there's ambiguity and ambivalence in a lot of his writing and the piece of writing that I'm obsessed with by him theses on the philosophy of history is in these fragments is in these Mm. and it is a constellation of ideas basically and what you get out of that is 
a real richness from that ambiguity. Like, mm-hmm. I can't tell you for certain, despite having read it a million times, exactly what Benjamin's getting at in every single mm-hmm. fragment. That's not because the writing's bad, it's because it's good. Mm-hmm. And it generates ambiguity of interpretation. It is against a sort of concreteness and a certainty. And in, it's for kind of the idea of contingency and fluidity and, and sort of and the possibilities that are opened up by going beyond a world of certain rational, observable facts. And I find that really appealing as someone mm. who is an atheist and always has been. I'm, you know, I'm kind of actually find it quite I have I don't have like a spiritual life, quite mm. frankly, and I'm fine with that. But I find it really appealing in Benjamin that he is, you know, and it's, I think, as far as I understand, it's like partly him drawing on some of the Jewish mysticism, mysticism yeah. that he sort of grew up around to, I don't know, like enchant as a verb, mm-hmm. like enchant sort of some of the incredibly depressing politics of the world that he was living in mm. on you know on the run from the Nazis and eventually taking his own life in Spain in 1940. You know, there's... I can see the appeal to thinking in that particular sort of starry way <laughs> that yeah. is that is beyond sort of enlighten- the enlightenment values of kind of finite and observable facts. And I think it's a good pushback in a way to I think so. Adorno. I think so. And I think, Mike, to kind of, I guess, to put those ideas more explicitly into form, because I've been thinking about this as well, I think that what's, what an investment in... Benjamin's idea of the stars, right? So maybe not the mm. horoscope apps that we're talking about, or I don't know, maybe. But you know, Benjamin's ideas of the stars is so. There's this like progressive. There's this progressive idea of the Enlightenment, right? So there's the Enlightenment, and then there's like modernity, and there's a kind of left wing march of history idea, a kind of teleology, right? Mm-hmm. That like we will progress and end up, and hopefully end up with uh, communism, historical right? Materialism. Historical, historical materialism, exactly. And what he's doing in the in the so in the thesis on the philosophy of history is that he is, I think, this is how I always read it, he's explicitly problematizing that march of history approach. Mm-hmm. And I think that what we call determinism can, uh, you know, it's kind of becomes a kind of master plot for earthly existence. Mm-hmm. And I think actually looking to the stars can kind of slightly problematize that in, in, in a way. That's kind of what he's doing. And I read this really good New Yorker piece about stars right and this is just something Mm. I just want to read out as a kind of final thing so it says and because I think it speaks to Benjamin's work so it's commonplace to say that in certain times people crave certainty but what astrology offers isn't certainty it's distance just as the person may find it easier to accept things about herself when she decides she was born that way astrology makes it possible to see world events from a less reactive position it posits that history is not a linear story of upwards progress mm-hmm. but instead moves in cycles and the historical actors the ones running amok all around us are archetypes alarming yes villainous perhaps but far but familiar legible so i guess I think, I mean, I kind of think maybe the conclusion there is wrong around the idea of like, um, I don't know, around the idea that there are like figures in our history and that they're kind of archetypes rather than being like uniquely, I mean, I don't know. I kind of, to, to kind of remove it from that conclusion, I think there's something really interesting about the idea that astrology, stars, horoscopes take us away from the march of progress of history. Mm-hmm. And I think that is something, you know, as someone who's heavily critical of the idea of linear time, yeah. I think that, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying that time doesn't move linearly. I'm not saying that, you know, we don't, 
go around the sun or go around the earth or that we won't die or that time doesn't progress or whatever, mm. or time doesn't move. But I think what is really important to do is to kind of not take that as a as something that is expected, as something that is finite, as something that's definite. The entire theory of relativity is that the, that the way that we experience time mm. is relative. You know, mm. if you're on the top of a mountain, you'll experience time slightly differently from how you'll experience it at the bottom of the mountain. That is like the theory of relativity, right? So, but often we kind of take time because we are so surrounded by time as something that just exists, that just happens, mm. and that it is uniform, calculable, and homogenous, right? Yeah. And homogenous time, I think something that perhaps Benjamin would get at is that he is getting at that homogenous time is actually it's quite dominant it's quite dominant stifling. Now. it's stifling that's yeah, it yeah. dominant homogenous time is stifling yeah. and it kind of stops us from being able to see the different ways that like history progresses moves mm. unrelated events are connected mm. or or not connected you know yeah, i yeah, think yeah. that's what homogenous time does yeah and, and i think that's what astrology kind of does in a way maybe I, you made a stunning defense <laughs> of it yeah that, it's, that it is you know for a more fragmentary way of looking at our time and our lives and so on rather than yeah, in this linear teleological march towards a definite end point that has been predetermined. Exactly, exactly. So, like, it's taken so much to try to unlearn, actually to come back full circle, right? It's quite neat because we were talking about time earlier and about, like, mm. teenagehood. It takes quite a lot to unlearn that cynicism of teenagehood, mm. you know, that kind of cynicism that, yeah. like, okay, well, this is the way the world works. There is a clock, you know, there is a kind of... kind Pop of... music sucks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> another classic teenagerism. It's, it's really hard to yeah. unlearn these things yeah. or even to kind of question them. They become so normalized within our everyday experience. And I think actually by kind of critiquing them, I think we add a lot more depth to our understanding of the world and a lot mm. more texture. Make it a bit more it's spicy. A, it's been a big day for texture. Yeah, it's been a really big day for texture. Cool. Well, my horoscope is saying that uh, it's time for us to go and get some lunch. Yeah. Um, and uh, if we don't do that, then Saturn's going to be unhappy or something. I've made a lamb stew. Oh my God, amazing. Yeah, Incredible. I think it's called like, it's like a Turkish dish called like Sultan's Delight or something. Not the swooning imam. Imam, <laughs> imam Beildi. Well, that's an aubergine dish. I think we're getting a bit off topic, yeah. aren't we? <laughs> anyway, it's going to be delicious. It's written in the stars. It's written in the stars. <laughs> Lovely stuff. Lovely stuff. Great, great <laughs> broadcasting. Um, thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's been such a fun episode. You can, as ever, check out our Patreon for uh, lots more content as yet undetermined. No, we, we are doing more more, more uh, Blessed Objects episodes, which will be exclusive to Patreon. It's only four quid a month. Uh, or look us up on social media, Twitter and Instagram particularly. And uh, thanks very much for listening. I've been Dan Hancocks. And I'm Dr. Cashty. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> we love you even if you're Libras. <laughs>